listening to the Island Christian Church of Holbrook podcast. This message is the first part of the series called Struggles. Today's message, given on April 8th, 2018, is titled Expectations. Hey, wouldn't it be great to have a life without struggles? Anyone want to sign up for that? Okay, you know, we, we have a sign up in the back. You can, no, I, I wish we did, but I, I think most of us would wish that we have a life without struggles. And yet we all struggle in different ways. The struggles that I have could be different than the struggles that you have. You could be married to someone that has different struggles than you have. Hopefully you're not the cause of the struggles that your spouse has, but that could be the case too. It's all sorts of ways that things happen. And you know what? Even after you come to faith in Christ, we still have struggles. In fact, some people might have been sold a false bill of goods where somebody might have told you, oh, just give your life to Jesus and all your problems will go away. Um, that's false advertising. They call that bait and switch because, you know, God doesn't leave us and make us struggle alone, but we do still have struggles. He helps us through our struggles. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks in this new series, How to Overcome Struggles. Now, I was listening to a podcast this week, and I heard this statement, and I really enjoyed it. It says, there are two keys to avoiding conflict. One of the keys to avoiding conflict is clear expectations. Another key to avoiding conflict is good communication. So this week, we're going to look at the clear expectation side of that. And then next week, we are going to look at the good communications side of that, ways to avoid conflict. And many problems that we face could be solved or at least made a whole lot better if we would stop having unrealistic expectations. Have you ever been around someone that had unrealistic expectations of you? Okay, it is not a pleasant place to be. Well, you know, God does have something to say about this. We're going to read the story of a general of a neighboring army of Israel who wanted to be healed from a horrible disease. And yet he had strong expectations of how the healing would have taken place and how it should have happened. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings? And we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 5. This is about a man named Naaman. 2 Kings 5 in verse 1, Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Syria. And he was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. Now, if you stopped right there, you'd be like, okay, he's a a commander, maybe a general. He's had victory. God has given victory. But then there's a little aside in there. It says, but he was a leper. Now, leprosy was a very serious disease. Quite frankly, they didn't understand much about it in that time. We, we know a lot more about it today. But the thing, without getting into the whole disease, the key thing here is lepers were shunned 
in that culture. Okay, they were not allowed to live in the community. They had to live outside the community. People thought if they got near them, they would catch the disease. Um, people didn't understand it. And leprosy was like, you know, the, the, I guess the next thing after that would be death, you know, as far as that was considered in that culture. Okay. And so here's a man. And quite frankly, we don't quite understand how Naaman was able to command an army as a leper, but obviously he was. And uh, so th- th- that's that's who he was. Now, verse 2, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Okay, and the little girl said to her mistress, okay, mistress is the person who was in charge of her, would that my Lord were with the prophet who were in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. You see, this little girl came from Israel, and she saw the prophet. At that time, it was Elisha, but before that, it was Elijah, and they saw many miracles. And so this little girl is thinking, gee, if, you know, my master were able to get to this prophet, perhaps he could be cured of this awful disease. So she told it to uh, the person that she was working for, and then... Um, and then that got communicated to Naaman. So verse four, so Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. Okay, so he told the king what was possible here. And verse five, and the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So I'm going to introduce you to the king of Israel and perhaps he will let you see the prophet who could help you with this disease. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Okay, that's a lot of stuff. Okay, you're not going to take that and be able to put it in the overhead compartment on an airplane. Okay, you need a whole entourage to do that because, uh, well, just uh, 6,000 shekels of gold, that's a lot. And uh, in fact, I, I did a calculation that 6,000 shekels of gold in today's money would be worth about $2.9 million. Okay, so that's how much as a kind of a gift to, to kind of like, okay, let's, you know, you know, let's see if, you know, we can, you know, incur the favor of this foreign person and perhaps he can be healed. Okay, and so verse six, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Okay? Now, the king kind of responded in a difficult way right here. Verse 7, and when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. Okay? So the king was very much afraid because he's like, I, I can't do this. You know, I'm not God. Okay? But, verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, you see, people in those days, when they were deeply grieved, they would tear their clothes as showing sorrow or remorse or, 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 or repentance and things. And so there's some, you know, the, the king of Israel is greatly upset by this because he says, 
uh-oh, this, this, this might start a war because he's expecting something of me. I can't deliver that. And so he tore his clothes. Well, the word got out to Elisha the prophet. And so he says, why have you torn your clothes? Okay, and Elisha says to the king, let him come to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. You see, Elisha is saying, you know what? God's got this. God can do this. Let him come. Let him come. So verse 9, Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Okay, now imagine this. This is a whole entourage. They're all there. Naaman's the probably the chief general in Syria. So there's this whole big thing, and they're standing outside the door of Naaman's house. Well, what happens? Verse 10, And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored. You shall be clean. Well, sounds good, right? But that's not how Naaman received it. Look at the next verse, 11. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Then he says, are not Abana and Parfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Now, perhaps this was an insult to him. You know, here he comes with his old entourage and the prophet doesn't even come out of his own house to meet him. He sends a messenger. And so he goes away in a huff. Verse 13, but his servants came near and said to him, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He has actually said to you, wash and be clean. I mean, ultimately, that's what Naaman wanted. He wanted to be clean from this disease. And so, um, you know, it, it says, my father, this could be even maybe a son of his or someone who's looking to him as a father. He's basically saying what, what the prophet said, even though he didn't say it to you directly, he sent it through the messenger. He said, wash and be clean. So why don't you do it? So verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was healed. Now, I would hope at that point that Naaman was overjoyed. And we're not told, you know, we are told that he is about, and if you read on, he's about to offer gifts you know, the 2.9 million in gold. He's ready to offer gifts. And by the way, Elisha didn't want the gifts, just as an aside there. If you go to a healer and they want money, run. Okay, I, I'm talking about a faith healer, you know, not a, not a doctor. But if you go to someone who says, oh, I'll pray for you to be healed. But you hear you have to make a donation. Somebody does that, you know, no, 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 sorry, run. They're, 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 they're in it for the wrong reason. But the key thing here is, Naaman expected that the healing would take place in a certain way. And he got the healing, but it didn't happen the way he expected it would happen. 
Now, how many times have you told God the way he was supposed to work in your life? We've all done it. We've told God, God, it's got to be this way. I've got to have this person in my life. I've got to not have that one in my life. I've got to have this job. I've got to live here. I got to not live here. I, you know, we've done it. We have all told God. And that's what Naaman was kind of doing. He was saying he's coming expecting to get healed. But when he was just met by the messenger, he's like infuriated. Okay. But God said through Elisha to Naaman, go do it this way. Naaman had an expectation of how he would be healed. But ultimately, God showed who was really in charge. And expectations can cause conflict. I was reading something by Chip Ingram, and he said that when expectations are poorly managed, Four negative emotions emerge, and any one of them can be destructive in a relationship. The first two of these four emotions may be felt by the person whose expectations are not being fulfilled, and the last two are possibly felt by the one who is trying to meet the expectations of another person. So let's take a look at these first two emotions that you can feel if your expectations are not being fulfilled. Okay, the first expectation is anger. You can be mad. When people are prevented from seeing their expectations realized, they often respond with anger. A leader may be angry with his team if he sees them preventing the team from fulfilling a goal. A teenager may be angry with a parent who blocks the way to seeing one of their expectations realized. A spouse can become resentful and angry when their partner stands in the way of a dream coming true. Know this. The distance between our expectations and our experience fuels anger and disappointment. The distance between what we expect and what we experience fuels anger and disappointment. So the first emotion is anger. The second emotion is disappointment, or more specifically, sadness. Sadness. While sadness can be much less intense than anger, it is no less hurtful. When the expectations of your partner, your friend, your colleague, your child are simply lost, ignored, or forgotten in the busyness and frenzy of your life, there is a sadness and a feeling of being unappreciated. Have you ever felt unappreciated? Yeah, yeah. Well, these feelings can erode and can spoil relationships. These are struggles that many of us feel, okay? Because we have an expectation of someone and they are not meeting the expectation or they're not doing it the way we think it should be done. And so we can become angry or we can have a deep sadness come over us. Now, the last two emotions may be felt 
by the person who is trying to meet the expectations of another person. One of these emotions is anxiety. And you may feel this way when you're uncertain of what exactly someone's expectations are. <laughs> they won't talk. They say, if you really cared, you'd already know. I think guys have this a lot. We, we, we sometimes wonder, like, how come she didn't tell me? But men, we're supposed to automatically know. Women, we're not that smart. I just want to tell you that, okay? We're not that perceptive, okay? It's not just men, but hey, I'm a guy and I'll, I'll go on that side of the equation here. Or, or sometimes somebody won't talk, right? Or, but you know, you don't know. You find yourself saying, what does he really want? What does she really want? Or how about this one? They give me a job to do, but they never tell me what they expect. They just complain. Right? What does that do? That causes a great anxiety. And we feel anxious. And it's, it's very frustrating. <clears throat> and then the other emotion, which sometimes can come out of this, is shame. Shame. When it is clear that you have failed to meet the expectations of the other person, you sometimes feel embarrassed, ashamed, and unworthy. And children often struggle with this emotion when they come to the conclusion that they can never please their parents. Well, we need to develop skills and strategies for better managing our expectations and the expectations of others. Because the distance between our expectation and our experience fuels anger and disappointment. Here's three keys to better managing expectations. You might want to write them down. The first one is expectations must be expressed. Expectations must be expressed. It does no good to expect something and then not let another person know that you expect that. You cannot just assume that someone knows what is expected of them. It has, bless you, it has to be communicated. Okay? We get ourselves in trouble. I mean, how many of us have been hurt by an expectation that somebody never told us that they expected of us? Right? Almost everybody. Okay, so expectations must be expressed. The second key is expectations must be realistic. They have to be something that is within reach. I mean, it's okay to stretch a little bit and to have, you know, go for a little more. But gee, if somebody says, oh, Bob, you're going to enter the high jump and you're going to jump 12 feet in the air. No, I'm not. And I'm probably going to fall and break something if I try. Okay? It does no good to have unrealistic expectations. And yet, so often, people have unrealistic expectations. I mean, we do premarital counseling sometimes. And it's so funny seeing the look in the eye, the twinkle in the eye, the gleam, and... You know, they just figure, well, once we're married, everything's just going to be great and, you know, everything. And yet, you know, there's equal number of people who are married coming for 
marital counseling. <laughs> and, you know, people say the number one cause of marital strife and argument is money and finances. And I, I would agree with that. But I think another one high up on the list is unrealistic expectations. Okay, so expectations must be realistic. And the third thing is expectations, and this is not a must, but this is a may. Expectations may need to be negotiated. They may need to be negotiated. Now, let me talk a little bit about what we do in premarital counseling. Okay, we have a section that we go through called roles, goals, and expectations. And that's a great one because there are certain roles in marriage. People have goals in marriage, and there are expectations that they come into marriage with. Okay, and one of the sections that we do in this, we ask the couple that's coming a question, and we say, is there a person in your life that you get the feeling that you are always disappointing them, and yet they have never shared with any any way with you that you have done? They have never told you, oh, you've done this. You just get the feeling like, I'm just not measuring up. I'm always disappointing this person. Okay, and when this happens, it's usually an indication that they have an expectation for our behavior that we have not fulfilled. <laughs> and of course, they've never shared this expectation with us. So how could we expect it? Well, while in a perfect world, and understand we're talking about premarital counseling now in my example, but this applies to anything. It's not just for that. It says, while in a perfect world, our marriage partner would automatically understand our needs and immediately do what we expect them to do to meet the needs, in the real world, that's just not the case. And it's better to share our expectations with them and then give them a chance to respond. And so what we do is we have these areas that we go through and we say, well, what do you expect in this area? What do you expect of the other person? The other person, what do you expect of them? And we go through each one. And then we kind of say there are three ways, possible responses to another's expectation once we the expectation is stated. One way to respond it is like, yeah, no problem. I'd be happy to do that. You know, and that's a great way to respond if you can. Another way to respond is to say, well, that'll be a work but I'm willing to give it a try. Another way to respond is to say, no can do. Can you be open to changing that expectation? And we go through that. And that's a really healthy exercise because there's some things where it's like, yeah, no problem. I can do that. There's some like, you know, I'm not wired that way, but because I love you, I'm willing to try. And then there's some that are just like, no. I just can't do that. Can we alter or modify this expectation? That's what we talk about negotiating the expectation. Now, listen, we also go on to say that not every need of ours creates an expectation that our partner must meet. For example, if my teeth need brushing, I don't expect Anne to do it. I just brush my teeth, right? And, you know, that would be a very unhealthy thing. And there's a term for that called codependency, <laughs> okay? But that, you know, there's some people that just cannot do anything on their own. No, that's not giving you license to delegate away everything. But there's a lot of things that just like, yeah, 
I meet those things. There are other things where it's like, you know, I could use maybe a little help in this, but I'm willing to give it a try. Cut me a little slack while I'm adjusting. And then there are other things where it's like, you know what? We better talk about this, okay? And then we go ahead and we discuss the expectations and the responses. But you see, that's a healthy way of dealing with this. Now, that can work in some circumstances, but one area where this is more difficult, or it may be more difficult, is in a job, okay? <laughs> if you go in to your boss and say, uh, you know, no can do, can we change that expectation? You might be out looking for another job. But there are ways of asking things, like you could go to your supervisor and say, hey, I'm really having trouble with this. Could you help me to see how I could be more effective at doing this? Because that's coming in in a, with a posture of humility, isn't it? You know? And if your boss really cares about the team succeeding and you're doing a good job, you know, they're going to be like, okay, it might get them thinking that maybe you might be in the wrong seat on the bus and maybe there's somebody who could do that job better than you. But you never know. It could be something that you might grow through and you might actually become better at that thing. Okay, so, you know, not everything here is hard and fast. But the key thing that we're talking about today is the distance between our expectations and our experience fuels anger and disappointment. Because whenever there's a gap, we can respond in one of those ways. So I've got to ask you, how are you doing with your expectations? Do you have expectations of someone that you're not telling them? Would you consider letting them know and expressing it? It possibly could help your situation. Is somebody expecting something from you and you have no idea what it is? Maybe you go to them and say, listen, I don't know what I've done or I'm not doing, but I really get the sense that you're hoping or expecting me to do something that I'm not doing. And could you tell me about that? Now, they might just, you know, jump down your throat. But you know what? At least if you come with a humble posture, you have an opportunity to hear what it could be. So how are you doing with your expectations? There's one more thing, though, and this is huge. Sometimes you have an expectation of another person that no one other than God can properly meet. Sometimes you are expecting someone to fulfill a desire that you have, right, wrong, or otherwise, and quite frankly, a person is not fully capable of filling that desire. That could be a desire that only Jesus can meet. And we get ourselves in trouble when we look to a person or to a situation or to a change or to a new job or to a new place or to a new church or to a new small group or to a new wife, or to new whatever, and we look for something like that, and yet 
All that is doing is that is revealing that you have a deeper need in your life that only Christ can properly meet. You see, there is someone greater than people or positions that can truly satisfy. And God offers us himself in the person of Jesus. Jesus exceeds our expectations, provides for our needs, and fulfills our desires. And Christ alone provides the satisfaction and joy that we so desperately seek. And yet oftentimes we seek it in something less than Christ that will not fulfill. If that's you, I would like you to do this this week. I would like to challenge you to trade your expectations of that person that you're thinking about right now and trade that for satisfaction in Christ. Find out how Christ can meet that need or desire in your life. It's written here. It's in the Bible. You might not be able to find it if you're like having a problem and you're like, help me. I'm here to help. I can hopefully point you to scripture that can show you how God is designed, has designed himself to meet that need. And we get in trouble when we're trying to meet it through some other means other than him. So trade your expectations of a person with satisfaction in Christ. Now, some people have unfounded expectations of God. Naaman had an unfounded expectation about how God would heal him, or at least how Elisha would interact with him. And God hasn't left us to guess who he is and what he wants. He has revealed himself. Now, somebody might say, well, I trusted God, and he didn't answer. I trusted God, and he let me down. He doesn't understand. Yes, he does. Let me tell you what Jesus said just before he went to the cross in John 16. He said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. Not you might have. Not if you're lucky you won't have. No, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And we certainly know the tribulation that Jesus went through the very next day after he said that, when he went to the cross. But thankfully, for all of our sake, he overcame the world and the cross. And the punishment that he did not deserve became our salvation. That is ultimately best news in the world. So take heart. Jesus says he has overcome the world. We can expect God to do what he says he will do. God's promises are absolutely sound, and our expectation that he will fulfill his word is what we call faith. Faith. Not faith in faith, 
not faith in something else. We can believe, when we believe that God will fulfill his word, that is what faith really is. I have to ask you, do you have faith in Jesus? I'm not talking about saving faith, but do you really believe that he will do for you what he says he will do? Or are you relying on something or someone less than Christ? God's word to you today, I believe, is have faith in Jesus. And I hope we can begin to set proper expectations for others and at the same time find our satisfaction in Christ. And when we do this, I believe we will begin to overcome our struggles, and our conflicts. Well, that's what we're going to talk about expectations. Next week, we're going to look at the second thing that can help with conflicts, and that is good communication. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to say thank you, Jesus, that you have overcome the world. And you did not promise to remove us from the struggles that we have. But you promised that in you, when we're in you, you will lead us through the struggles. And at some point, even when we don't know, we will get to the other side. And you will turn ashes into beauty. So I pray for everyone that is struggling in something. I pray for anyone that might have an unrealistic expectation or if they're struggling with somebody's unrealistic expectations of them. Lord, I pray that they will be able to look to you and perhaps these things we've talked about today will help them. But more than what we've talked about, we just pray that your Holy Spirit, whose one of his names is the Comforter, would comfort each one as they go through these struggles. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.